program. In five, four, three, two. Welcome back, everybody, to the Savage Cromcast, Season Three, Episode Thirteen. Solomon Kane in retrospection. Retrospective? Retrospection. I'm Josh. I'm Luke. And I'm John. And together we are the Cromcast. Welcome back, guys. Together, Greetings, mortal humans. Yeah, I think together we're beer drinkers tonight. From, we are beer drinkers. From what tonight. I've seen. There's no bourbon. Limitations to that. Yeah. <laughs> Why? I don't know. It's it's like we all sort of coalesced on the same hops and malted barley fueled ideas. That's true. Needed some malt. I was out of bourbon. We are running low. Uh, I went through and cleaned out the the fridge, so I have a small selection of high lives. I have an, uh, a hard cider that that Josh, your wife, left over here the that's, other that's the other true. evening after a cookout. Yep. And then I have a Bud Light Limerita that <laughs> dates back at least two years, maybe more, that's been in our fridge. And I'm I was like, I'm sick of looking at this. So tonight we're we're mopping up, we're, we're cleaning it. cleaning it up with Solomon Kane. We're gonna <laughs> clean up my fridge. <laughs> I like it. I, now, when we start the next season, we'll have to re- replenish the uh, liquor cabinets and uh, beer fridge. Yeah, yeah. What are you drinking Function. over there, John? Uh, I've got a double Devastator double vodka. Oh, wow! Who who makes yeah. that? Uh, Wasatch Brewery in Utah. Oh, okay. Before this, before we got started, I had a longboard island lager from Kona Brewing Company, and I would highly recommend it. Yeah, those things are pretty good. Yeah. I've never had one. I'm not used to. Hmm. What about about you there, Josh? I'm supporting the local community with a uh, West 6th Pay It Forward Cocoa Porter. We've raved about West 6th before. They're right here in Lexington, Kentucky. They make delicious beer, and this is one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. It's good stuff. On the other end of things, I'm drinking a High Life right now. That's, the, that's where I'm at. But before that, I had a Cocoa Porter, and so we're taking the good with the bad, the ups with the downs. There's nothing wrong with a High Life. There's no bad here. Mm. There's nothing wrong with High Life. It's the champagne of beer. In it? Oh, and it's it tastes like an effing beer should. Yeah. Yeah. It's nothing wrong with it. We should start a brewery. What should we call it? Crom's Brewery or something. <laughs> yeah. If you don't like it, we don't care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to hell with you. To hell with you. Let's start That's a right. GoFundMe or something. Yeah, Kickstart. It's good. I don't yeah, know. we could we could have like a oh, kind of like the the Thor's hammer, like heathen sort of symbol. That could yeah. be that could be the inspiration for our can. Have that it's shit just, like just texts and abs all over everything and runes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it would be. It would be pretty epic. It would be great. That w- that's don't no one steal that idea. And if you like it, patent uh, yeah, patent pending. If you <laughs> if you like the idea and you want to move forward on it, let us help you. We'll promote that stuff for free beer for life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Seems we'll like do a good that. deal. As long as your beer's good. <laughs> Better than High Life, at least. <laughs> no, man, the High Life is good though. It is like, good. There's a handful of cheap beers that are that are the real deal, and it is one of them for sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 
enough talk. This isn't beer cast. This is Chromecast. <laughs> and we perhaps we have stroked the high life <laughs> enough. <laughs> Let's talk about some books. All right. So uh, we have another cool book to talk about that's coming out from Apex Publications. We talked about Brian Keene's The Lost Level a few episodes back, and we offered a promo code for that. Our buddy Jason Sizemore got in touch with us uh, about uh, Brian Keene's new book. It's called King of the Bastards. It is going to be dropping on around the 21st of July, and it seems like this is a, a good mix of, of fantasy and horror all together. Uh, and we don't have a copy of it yet. It should be getting here pretty quick. We're going to be talking about it over the next couple episodes, but suffice to say, if you dug Brian Keene's previous book that that hopefully you got through through uh, our mentioning on it on the show here the lost uh, level the lost level if you like that or if you've read his work elsewhere and you're excited about it use promo code chromcast all in capital letters and you can get 50% off on apex's website uh, on either an e-copy or a hard copy that's a great deal. It is a good deal. It's yeah, it's pretty sweet. I'm looking forward to reading the King of the Bastards. For it's sure. good fun stuff. The Lost Level was a lot of fun. I bet this is going to be not quite so campy, uh, rambunctious, and campy, and a uh, a whole lot more gritty. And it's even tagged as a little bit of extreme horror. I think it's going to be uh, delving into some some dark sort of underbelly, some dark fantasy. That's a great deal. So uh, if you can't remember the uh, the the website for Apex Publications. Just check out our uh, show notes, and we'll have a link for you. And if you decide to go forward with this, just use the promo code CROMCAST, all in uppercase letters. Indeed, that's another high life. I I know I I grabbed it. That's what we're down to, and I don't want the limerita yet. <laughs> we need to have like a, a warning sign when the limerita, like a. No, 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 no. Oh, man. All right. What else you got there on that list? We just need to, to do our one things, and then we'll, we'll, we'll do some synthesis for old Solomon Kane. My one thing is Weird World, a comic being put out by Marvel Comics right now during their Secret Wars crossover. It's by Jason Aaron, with art by Mike Del Mundo and Marco De Alfonso, and it features Archon, a barbarian sort of pastiche of Conan. He used to be sort of an enemy slash friend of the Avengers, and in this crossover, all the universes of the Marvel multiverse have been sort of folded together. And there's like one spot, sort of like the land of misfit toys where all the lost ideas go. And Archon ended up there and it's called Weird World. And it's a really crazy story so far. It's got every weird thing Marvel has ever done sort of put together and it's painted. So it's really pretty. Uh, I think it sort of reads like what would have happened if Robert E. Howard had read the Marvel Universe handbook from the 1980s and then got <laughs> Picasso or Dali to paint the comic book for him. So I think it's pretty fun so far and pretty interesting. So if you're into mainstream comics, I would give that uh, five stars for you to go and check out. That sounds good. Josh, 
What is your one thing? Mine's comic related, but it's not positive. And it's more of a rant than anything, but you know this Batman v Superman nonsense that Oh, is, yes, the legal troubles that the two are in. Y- yeah, so <laughs> evidently I think it's a paternity issue. Who is Robin's real dad? They are both such jerks. And I'm, <laughs> I'm tired of the grim dark stuff, man. I got to tell you, in my in my Superman, I don't want grim dark. I want, I want these creators, I want Zack Snyder to stop reading so much Frank Miller and go read All-Star Superman. That's okay. what I, that's what I want. I want him to read All Star Superman, and I want him to maybe watch the uh, the old Flasher Superman cartoons, and just think about other ways he could present Superman other than the tortured, isolated alien who doesn't understand humanity. Yes. Yeah. Don't want that. This has been what you know. It really grinds my gears with Josh. <laughs> that was my one thing. <laughs> Bat- Batman versus Superman. I don't want it. Take it back. Take it back. Luke, give us give us some light. Give us some brevity here. All right. Uh, something I've been digging. Uh, I posted about this on the, the Facebook page uh, a day or so ago. But there's this this heavy metal band named Chemis that that I've just gotten turned on to, and their new band or their new album is called Absolution, and I think it's their first full length album according to Metal Archives, and it is it's pretty damn great, and I've been loving it uh, all through. It's a good, solid metal outing. Uh, definitely some some sludgy influences. Has some good, clean vocals. They're not afraid to throw in some harsh, some harsh singing too when it suits them. But you know, one of the noteworthy things within the realm of extreme metal is it's you know outside of your your power metal kind of throwbacky stuff. You don't necessarily get some good, clean vocals, and this has it in spades, and it's really good. Uh, the the final track on the album is called "The Bereaved." And it's it's epic. It's a nine uh, nine a nine minute uh, closer. That's I think probably going to be one of my favorite metal songs of the year. Uh, really good Whoa. stuff. Really good stuff. And the the album cover for Al- Absolution has this awesome Frazetta inspired. Uh, I don't know uh, wizard with with some sweet sweet goat horns coming out. Oh, cool. And and a skull or skeleton sort of coming out behind him. And a and an awesome uh, lovely lady. Who's scantily clad, sort of sitting at his feet? She looks a little bit like Vampirella or something like that. Uh, This—it's just a really great, great album cover in the in the style of Frazetta. Uh, And so that's what caught my eye when I first saw the the article about the album. But but for real, the the content of the music that's that's there—it's—it's solid. So you can get the get the CD on Bandcamp for ten bucks. For some reason, they don't offer digital only on their Bandcamp page, but if you get the CD, you also get the digital that way. Uh, or you can get it on Amazon for currently about six bucks. Uh, and so it's it's a hell of a deal for a brand new metal band, I think, or a band that's only been around the past couple of years, and, and they're legit. Yeah, they're awesome. That single, that track you posted is really, really good. Just long enough to make love to. It's, it's about right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Right. That is one thing. <laughs> so what are we doing tonight? Uh, besides like rambling and drinking lots of beer. <laughs> we're going to wax philosophically a little bit about what came means to us and what we've enjoyed and not enjoyed about the season. And maybe talk about some of Howard's philosophy that went into this character. Yeah. You know, the usual. The usual. What we usually do when we wrap up. So, 
in thinking about this and thinking about Solomon Kane, the uh, the first Kane tale to be published was Red Shadows. That was in the Weird Tales issue uh, that came out in August of 1928. I want to read a couple of quotes to get us started. This this is just to open the floor, I guess. Cool. They are both by uh, quotes by Robert E. Howard. The first one is spoken by Solomon Kane. The second one is spoken by Conan the Sumerian, or Kimmerian, I guess. We never did decide Sumeria versus Kimmeria, did we? Mm-hmm. That, that's not a discussion for today. Whatever. I'm going with. I'm going with Samaria. That is a tale for. <laughs> is that what he says? Yeah, that's for right. Another time. Thank you, Mako. <laughs> so this is the first quote. Over the souls of men spread the condor wings of colossal monsters, and all manner of evil things prey upon the heart and soul and body of man. Yet it may be in some far day the shadows shall fade, and the prince of darkness be chained forever in his hell. Until then, mankind can but stand up stoutly to the monsters in his own heart and without, and with the aid of God, he may yet triumph. Okay. So, talking about, you know, faith in the Lord and strength through through God and this and that to overcome the evils in the world. Here we go with a quote from Conan. I have known many gods. He who denies them is as blind as he who trusts them too deeply. I seek not beyond death. It may be the blackness averred by the Nemedian skeptics, or Crom's realm of ice and cloud, or the snowy plains and vaulted halls of the Nordheimer's Valhalla. I know not, nor do I care. Let me live deep while I live. Let me know the rich juices of red meat and stinging wine of my palate. The hot embrace of white arms, the mad exultation of battle when the blue blades flame and crimson, and I am content. Let teachers and philosophers brood over questions of reality and illusion. I know this. If life is illusion, then I am no less an illusion. And being thus, the illusion is real to me. I live, I burn with life, I love, I slay, and am content. And we remember discussing that quote way back from the Queen of the Black Coast. Yeah. Conan's a badass. He is That's a badass. all there is to it. That is true. But let's, so those two quotes give us, I don't know if they're diametrically opposed, but one is a very sort of, not really atheistic, but more agnostic view. Like, there may be gods out there, but I don't care because I just want to live my life. The other is, without God, we have no hope. But with God, we can overcome the strength, uh, the strength of darkness, I guess. So, two different viewpoints from two main characters that we've had entire seasons of this podcast devoted to. The... Cain quote was written in the twenties sometime. And then the Conan quote was written later in the, in the early part of the thirties. So within five or six years of each other, do you think that reflects some changing in attitude? Do you think that just reflects Howard's mastery of, you know, understanding character motivations? What do you think? Uh, I guess I would say maybe more that the part about mastery over motivations, because Despite maybe two different outlooks on gods or God in the case of Solomon Cain, they're still both saying the sort of the same thing, right? Like fight in, in the fight is worth, is worth living. That's sort of what life is about. One says if there's God, so be it. One says that God will help us triumph, but they're both sort of about the struggle. Yeah. Neither really discounts it, right? Right. 
It's just that one character actually cares. <laughs> and that's yeah. Solomon Kane. The other one just doesn't even give, uh, really give it too much thought. Uh, and, and I think that's important. So, so really, like you use the term, uh, agnostic there, Josh, you know, really, so, so, so Conan readily admits, yeah, you're a fool if you don't even see these gods. He just doesn't, doesn't have the, the, the time to, to give these, these gods a second thought within his, within his narrower mind. I think, I think Solomon Kane is a good, interesting character to talk about and clearly we've we've hit on him this season we've talked at length about his his overall story arc across across the multiple publications you know there's something there but at the same time you can only do so much with batman uh and i i don't know i think conan is a richer character because at its core you can talk about conan from a lot of different avenues and you don't have to have this religious vengeance motivation as the central driver of, of the character's story arc. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of, kind of just Would going you argue here. though that we lose the religious aspect of the vengeance, that that thread disappears and disappeared in our, our season about midway through where Kane sort of loses his faith while wandering the continent of Africa. Yeah, so that I mean that happens. I think that's really interesting, and and I, I'm not. That's not to say that I didn't enjoy these Kane stories. I just think I don't want to say it's a one trick pony, but that that as a a a driver of how a character sort of operates, it, it's much more constrained in how you have to have to work with that character as opposed to Conan, who we saw doing all aspects of things, all manner of things, yeah. behaving in a lot of different ways. <laughs> it was really like what he. What he was wanting to, you know, very, very much what was on that character's mind in that particular point in his life, the way that Howard sort of wrote it up. I mean, do you guys, are you guys going to call bullshit on this or is is this? Conan, Conan definitely represents freedom and Kane is much like Batman or the Punisher or any of those other characters that you could put into that category where he's very much not free. He's constrained by his views on vengeance slash justice slash retributive justice, whatever you want to call it, this worldview, whereas Conan is free to do what he wants, and if what he wants to do is get some revenge, then yeah, totally, he can do that. We've seen that happen, but uh, he is not as crazy as Solomon Cain is. Solomon Cain is pathological. I wanted to finish up the, the quote section, I guess, with a quote from Howard himself. In a letter to H.P. Lovecraft, this is from 1932. Concerning beings from outside, I don't think I said that I assumed the positive existence of such things. My mind is open. I refuse to either deny or affirm. This is precisely my attitude toward questions mystical and theological. I have read a little in science, and I've listened to endless discussions by professors and men who were supposed to be scientists. I've never heard a theological argument which convinced me beyond the shadow of a doubt in the existence of a supreme being. Nor have I ever heard a scientific argument that convinced me that such a being did not exist. The most I've heard on both sides have been unprovable theories. The same way as regards life, if any, after death. I do not stand ready to, uh, ready even to positively deny the existence of an orthodox heaven and hell. I have never believed in their existence, but wiser men than I have and still do. I have never been convinced that reincarnation is either a reality or a myth. 
He's an agnostic through and through, right? Like it, that's the 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 crux of that message. I think so. I, th- I think it sounds as though he's at least willing to believe in something. He just isn't sure what that something is. M- more like Conan, I guess, than than Kane. But this also came to, uh, or was written or at least received by Lovecraft in uh, 1932. Okay. So this is after the Solomon Kane cycle of stories has been completed and just prior to the Conan cycle really getting revved up, I think. Yeah, and, and close to his final days, right? About four years away. Yeah. Uh, okay, okay. Yeah, so he's... But he's definitely, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe he changed his mind the day before he committed suicide. Like, what, what he thought about the afterlife and all of these questions. Yeah, you have no idea. But, so, rather than, you know, making this a conversation about which character we enjoy more, because I, I think we enjoy aspects of both Kane and Conan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, For sure. Just wanted to read a couple of, of relevant quotes about heaven and hell or God and Satan or Crom and his devils, like whatever. Um, heaven and hell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, to, to sort of get the conversation going. We know, I think from like the hour of the dragon at one point, Conan exclaims Crom's devils, let men worship whom gods they will. So he was willing to let whatever gods there were be worshiped in his kingdom. So mm-hmm. long as no one, told anyone that they couldn't do it and no one hurt anyone else. Yeah, right. Just like the Bill of Rights says. That's right. <laughs> so anyway, uh, maybe enough Conan talk. Just just wanted to, to sort of maybe frame this in a way that let us reflect on I a couple of the... Yeah, you have to have that to, to compare to the puritanical vengeance man that is Solomon Cain. Exactly. Well, yeah. and these are his two most enduring creations, I would argue, wouldn't you? I mean, Cain and... Conan. I would think so, especially if you look at um, recent Hollywood efforts, like these two characters are still very much in the public consciousness. Right. Yeah, Cole will never be seen as anything more than Conan Light, and then nobody cares much about boxing and the other stuff anymore. So yeah, in terms of like the the numbers of stories, yeah, this is these are the two the two biggies. Yeah, Yeah. and I, I think we're talking about public opinion like your general john q public right like yeah absolutely not yeah. not like howard heads who may really love brand mcmoran or may or really even love- dungeons and dragons playing you know people that are inclined towards the fantasy yeah sure yeah but if you went to comic con this last week you may have seen a conan and a cane maybe I true guess that's what I yeah. yeah it's unlikely that you saw sailor steve costigan exactly. <laughs> it is unlikely. yeah that's true so since we're doing a reflection, what stories from the season were your favorites? And what poems from this season were your favorites? What really stands out in your mind? You want me to go? Whoever wants to go. All you right. can go. Go for it, John. Uh, I would say my top tale that I ended up picking was the Blue Flame of Vengeance with the pirates and such. I think I said it during our recording of that episode that I just... I felt like I clicked more with Kane in that one and his weird sort of spectral appearance where he just pops up as this sort of vengeance tool for the kid to use in that story. I I don't know. I ended up liking that one the best as a story overall. 
obviously wings in the night is another fun one that we talked a lot about in terms of poems the best one for me was the homecoming of solomon king because it's such a capstone to his whole life experience luke how did you feel i think i'm of i'm of two minds with with favorite stories i really and i've mentioned this before really like a handful of the the shorter Solomon Kane stories that are just very quick, like even the fragments, I found really compelling. Like the 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 Death's Black Riders, I thought was pretty cool, uh, and 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 the Hawk of Basti seemed like it had nuggets of things there. So so I really think that that Howard was able to do a lot with very little space as far as painting atmosphere, which is what a lot of these Solomon Kane stories are about. So on one hand, I would say that uh, the right hand of doom was one of my favorite stories, even though Solomon Kane's very uh, <laughs> it plays a very minor role with how everything plays out. Uh, and on the other hand, the the other much larger scope African stories, the the Moon of Skulls, uh, and then like Wings in the Night, I really did enjoy those too. So I guess it would just depend on how much time I had to read a Solomon Kane story as to what my what my favorite would be. Uh, but I really think you can get uh, a good, atmospheric, moody little story out of like even just The Right Hand of Doom. Uh, so for somebody wanting to just get into it, like that's hands down one that I would that I would really recommend. As far as stories. I did like the return of Sir Richard Grenville, uh, and that was one of my favorite things that we read this whole season, uh, just because I think that it was written so well, and it was such a, a cool ass-kicking, uh, you know, Solomon Kane and, and a ghost man duo fighting. Uh, it just, it really was, was like a tough man poem that was really, really pretty cool. I liked it a lot. Yeah, that's a good one. What about you there? Is it my turn now? It is you, Josh. Okay. I, I was thinking along those same lines in terms of what story would I hand to my brother and say, uh, you know, this is this is the stuff I've been reading lately. Check this story out and see what you think. And I don't think you could give the wings in the night to someone who hadn't read the other Kane stories and have them appreciated on the same level because you need to set the stage. You know, these stories don't, go together and form a long form novel very well. But I think that they really do build on one another and give you this sharper image focus of a portion of Kane's life in a way that the Conan tales don't really do. Um, they reference them later stories, reference events that happen in earlier uh, stories. So they're, they're sort of episodic in that way. I think that's a really good point, and what you just what you yeah. just said there, like you get a more a far more complete view of this character's trajectory than you do with Conan. I, th- I think with Conan, you get his whole like the the breadth of it, but with Kane, you actually sort of get this macro focus on twenty years or something of his life and the journey, maybe maybe even just 10 years. We have no idea how long this takes. Yeah. But this this very distinct section of Solomon Kane's life. So we'll be talking about some some listener emails that we've received throughout the throughout the season. And thank you guys for that. We we love getting that kind of feedback. Yeah, and so so we we received an email from from Lawrence Cornford who we've who we've mentioned on the show before. He's given some mighty in-depth uh correspondence, which is very nice. The guy the guy is is a clear 
clear scholar in a lot of respects with this material. But he talked a little bit in an email about uh, a chronology for Solomon Cain. And the one that he specifically thought that at least seemed most appropriate to him was at least Keith Taylor's chronology for the character. And that was something I think that was published on Two Gun Raconteur. Uh, and we'll put that in the show notes as far as a timeline for probably where these stories fit together. It's clear. They reference one another, like Josh said. We don't necessarily have hard and fast dates in all cases, but there are some instances where we can say, hey, historical happenings point here, here, and here. And that timeline really does a great job of entrenching these stories in a historical perspective and gives you an idea of what eras or what time periods Howard was thinking about whenever he was, you know, sort of typing out these stories on his on his typewriter. Right. And so I guess... If I were to give someone a Solomon Kane story and say, check this one out first, I would just go with Red Shadows because it features all of the set pieces that we later come back to. Kane is vengeance minded. He meets a girl who dies. He gets a shred of a clue about Le Loop. The villain is really good. Le Loop is a good villain. We meet Nalonga. We see how powerful Nalonga is. And we see the, I guess, this draw that the jungle has to Solomon Kane. So all of the major Kane set pieces we see in Red Shadows, which is pretty nice. Uh, but I, I do agree, Luke, that, you know, the shorter uh, Skulls and the Stars and Right Hand of Doom might be uh, pretty accessible for somebody to just check out. Hey, check out this story. But at the same time, I feel like the set pieces for later tales are are missing. Yeah, yeah, and they're and they're just more good stories as opposed to good Solomon Kane stories. Yeah, for sure. So, for whatever that's worth, if you just want <laughs> that short story, that's you know that would be a good little moody piece to go with. Yeah, um, I would, if I were an English teacher, I would use Death's Black Riders as like a writing prompt for my classes. Oh, that'd yeah, be yeah, great. that'd yeah. be great. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, the, that's I, I would go with uh, with Red Shadows. And I really love Solomon Kane's Homecoming. I, you know, both yeah. both variants are really good, but they are just—it's such a good capstone for the Kane series. You you get this nice sort of almost hopeful feeling that Kane is going to settle down and regale these people with his at the pub with his stories and and uh, just finally be free of this curse that's been gripping him this whole time, his whole life. And it turns out he he can't he nope. can't he can't let it go. It's melancholy. It's bittersweet. It's you don't know what happens to Kane in the end. It's it's the perfect ending. It's it's awesome. It is, and it's like you've sort of pointed to too here. Like that's how a lot of the stories end with with Kane like walking off into yeah. the sunset, riding off into the sunset. You get the same kind of feel here, but that that poem really has like the the fish the official final like. Here's here's that final sort of end credit scene, and it is powerful. Yeah, I like that it was a poem. That the last word on Cain is this this poem. I don't know. I thought that was way better than a story. Yeah, I agree. I I think Howard really was a wordsmith in terms of not just his stories but his poetry. And man, I just I think he nailed some of these Solomon Cain poems and uh, Solomon Cain's Homecoming in particular. We would love to hear what you, the listeners, have to say in terms of what your top couple of stories and, and poem are for the season as well, right? Absolutely, yeah. Send us an email. Send us a voicemail. 
uh, leave a comment on the Facebook or holler at us on Twitter. We've received smoke signal, carrier pigeons. <laughs> send up some smoke signals. <laughs> We've received a, a slew of emails over the past past few months as we've as we've gone through the the season with the Solomon Kane content and I was reviewing a lot of the a lot of those those bits of correspondence that we've received uh we don't have a whole lot of people that have said hey this is my favorite story uh Joe Mizinski did say that he he really did like Death's Black Riders so that's another vote for that one yeah. we did have a lot of people that chimed in about the movie <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> we talked about, and not necessarily uh, uh, two thumbs up all across the board. It seemed like people are of the mind that, well, it's it's the movie that we got, and it, you know, it's it's pretty good. It could have been a whole lot better. Uh, you know, so we received a bit more in depth responses from Rob P, Jesse Orda, and Mikhail Wojcik who we've talked about on the show before. He sent us an email. Uh, he gave quite a bit of information about the backstory, about the content that went into that movie, you know, how much money actually was used for the budget of that movie. Uh, it seems like the the director and the creators were, were tied in terms of the, the financial uh, constraints that they had to make that movie. And it seems like they stretched and, and, and strung out every last little bit to get what they could. Uh, so... For for what it's worth, it seems like uh, we had a lot of listeners that that, that chimed in about the the Solomon Kane movie. Yeah, I think my favorite comment was, uh, "You remember the Momoa Conan movie? It's like that, but with a hat." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whoever said that? That was a good one. That's brilliant. Yeah, it's it's the Momoa Conan movie, but with a hat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what else you got there? I see a list in front of you. Yeah. Well, I was going to mention a couple other things that. That, that Lawrence Cornford talked about because these are these are these are some items that that we've that we've mentioned a couple different times. So we received this email from from Lawrence and and there were a couple other things that I wanted to mention here. Uh, the first is that uh, that of the origins of of Solomon Kane. And so Lawrence actually provided a bit of text that he said was a, a, a quote from Howard. It was a letter. And if we've mentioned this this season, well, it bears repeating just so we have a frame of reference here in this retrospective to see how, how Solomon Kane came to be. Sure. The first character I ever created was Francis Xavier Gordon, Elborak, the hero of the daughter of Ehrlich Khan. I don't remember his genesis. He came to my mind... He came to life in my mind when I was about 10 years old. The next was Bran McMoran, the Pictish King. He was the result of my discovery of the Pictish race, race when reading some historical works in a public library in New Orleans at the age of 13. Physically, he bore a striking resemblance to El Borak. Solomon Cain I created when I was in high school at about the age of 16, but like as the others I have mentioned... Several years passed before I put him on paper. He was probably the result of an admiration for a certain type of cold, steely-nerved duelist that existed in the 16th century. King Cole differed from these others in that he was put on paper the moment he was created, whereas they existed in my mind years before I put them in the, in, put them in the stories. This was a letter to Alvin Earl Perry around 1935. And we've talked about that uh, quote previously on the on the show, but it puts into perspective like this is a character that that, that Solomon Cain had 
had been created for for years before for Howard ever really sort of put him in a in a plot. Yeah, and you know, you have to wonder how we know that we know that Howard was a voracious reader of histories. And I've recently been wondering just how much Oliver Cromwell and his sort of puritanical uh, takeover of not only England, but most of Great Britain uh, influenced the creation of Solomon Cain. Cromwell and his parliamentary party, I guess, ousted the king, right? They were Puritans. They did not appreciate Catholics. And so they were uh, they, they, they were ruthless to the, to the Catholics, ruthless to just about everybody. And it brings to mind a lot of Solomon Cain's no compromise sort of attitude toward people who he views as unholy or wrong or what have you. Right. That's interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah. And yeah, I, I don't know. If you do know, send us an email to <laughs> the at gmail.com. And I That's guess an interesting point. I feel like this Puritan thing. I mean, we talked about the religion aspect and stuff, but I looked at the Puritan part of it as more of a, it's almost the ultimate in terms of what you could dress up this vengeful character as, right? The Puritan witch hunter that is judge, jury, and executioner and never stops. Like, it's a perfect form to cast this character in. And yeah, and that's definitely a trope that you see uh, across across characters. I mean, um, when you were saying that, John, I was thinking about the, oh, what's it, What's the fellow who called in the Song of Ice and Th- Fire, the, the High Sparrow? Oh, yeah, the High uh, Sparrow. Yeah. <laughs> like, that same kind of austere type of judge is, is definitely a, a trope. And I was also thinking about the no-nonsense monster hunter we see in the Hugh Jackman movie Van Helsing or in the anime Vampire Hunter D. Um, Seventh Son. Or Seventh Son. (laughs) Yeah, we'll talk about that later. Maybe we'll watch that movie for the Chromecast. Have you watched it yet? (laughs) No, but I know of it. Did you watch it? I watched Seventh Son, yeah. Okay. Oh, 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 I haven't haven't watched it. I'm I'm behind the times. (laughs) Uh, Jeff Bridges is in it. So is Jon Snow. <laughs> that's cool. But that's beside the point. Yeah, Seventh Son is another good example of that. The the sort of self-restraining, penitent monster hunter who's trying to run away from an equally horrifying past, right? Okay, other emails. I'm looking here. We we did get another another email specifically about the movie as far as our our indication of who we would want to cast, direction, that kind of thing. Okay. Listener Mike, oh, fond listener Mike, he he would cast Benedict Cumberbatch okay. as, as Solomon Kane. Definitely okay. a hot ticket right now. I could see that. He's, see that happening. He's a weird looking guy. He's got the he's got the look. Uh, and then he would have a uh, Chan Wook Park as the director, the old that old old boy director. Man, that would be a bloody bloody like, that fiasco. Would, that would be a bloody. Bloody dark, like Chanwook Park's version of the Wings in the Night. That's exactly what Mike indicates here. He says he would like to see a Wings in the Night uh, movie because it would just be off the chain. Like the the vampires, they're feeding everything that would happen in that evening. Like it would just be a slaughter. It would be. It would be. Yeah. That's funny that like you guys both converged on this. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I think Sam Raimi from the 1980s would be a pretty good director. Maybe not the Spider-Man version of Sam Raimi, but the, <laughs> the Evil Dead version of Sam Raimi would probably have it. 
Spider-Man well, maybe 3. Maybe not a movie. Maybe, maybe we need to think like a 10-episode HBO Maxi series, right? Because like you said, none of these stories exist in a vacuum, so... That's true. We could all sort of feed into each other. And I think that's the problem with the movie is that, you know, we talked about the, it's an origin story, but none of the classic stuff that we really like that is Solomon Kane is really there. Yeah. So a, a 10 episode miniseries might be pretty good. Speaking of. Yeah. Listener, listener Mike is right. That yeah. would be a good movie. That would be a directed by a director. Cumberbatch, though. I don't, I'm not feeling that so much. But Chanwick Park, yeah, I agree. And so I guess one other aspect of Solomon Kane that I really like that we haven't talked about tonight is the way in which biblical history, biblical legendary, specifically centering around King Solomon and his binding of demons and this and that, is used to good effect in the footfalls within and that Solomon Kane story, which I forgot to mention as one of my one of my tops. That's a that's a really good one. I dig it. It goes into this cosmic horror, I guess, that uh, some of the stories touch on. That one does it the best as far as the Solomon Cain tales. I think I think you're right. Yeah, it is. It is a scary. What the hell's back behind that that big stone? Yeah, the slab. <laughs> What's in the hatch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of the the sort of religious themes, I read a thing on Tor dot com. I want to say earlier today. Okay, uh, we had talked extensively about. The name Solomon Kane, and they sort of had a write up about it. I couldn't remember if we had talked about that write up on tour. No, I don't think so. We haven't. No, no. lay it on us. They, they talk specifically about Solomon being a judge and Cain being the representative of evil in the Old Testament or the First Testament or whatever you want to call it, and how therefore Solomon Cain's name, name means judge of evil, which is sort of an interesting way of looking at it. I feel. That is interesting. It's also... We still don't know what the L stands for. Leland. <laughs> uh, or, or Lucifer, or like Lucifer, we think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's a cool way to look at it. And the other thing I would add is that, you know, it might not be the judge of evil, but it might be a judge who's not afraid to fight evil with evil, right? Like, or an evil judge. Or an evil judge. Yeah. But Cain is very much that monster hunter type who, you know gazes into the abyss too long and we see what happens when the last straw finally falls like he is broken at the end of wings in the night and you know i was not expecting that i wasn't expecting that story to take that direction no especially given that we've we've seen like the way that solomon kane is written about he is this like uh operational very precise surgeon on the battlefield in in fights he's he seems very forward thinking and then he's reduced to not that he's like a raving crazy person with an axe yeah he's like, re- reduced to the uh i guess the stereotype that people view conan as right the the raving madman with yeah. an axe and he's ultimately in that story he is not victorious and that is something that's very, very cool about this Solomon Cain sequence of, of Howard stories. It's, it's, it touches this, I don't know, this corner of literature that is, it's pulpy, right? But it's also kind of introspective in a way that makes you think about how you feel and view the world, how you feel about religion. What change can you actually affect? Are you just as impotent as Solomon Cain? And are you 
uselessly waving your axe around. And, you know, issues like that, I think, can come up in thinking about these stories. And I think from that standpoint, they're very strong. I thought a lot about the death penalty with Solomon Cain, if that makes any sense. Yeah, sure. Explain. Well, so I guess when I read these stories, I felt like I was connecting with a part of Howard that was sort of a, a young man. Right. We talked about. He's 16 when he creates Solomon Cain. Mm-hmm. He's 22 when he's first published with Solomon Cain. And that's sort of an angry period for a lot of young men, I imagine. Or I, I feel like I experienced as well, where you're sort of like mad at the world and you still have that feeling like if your family was gunned down in front of you, that you would become Batman or the Punisher. Or Solomon right? Cain. Or Solomon Cain. And I feel like we're connecting with that part of Howard when we read these stories, that sort of retributive justice aspect of his personality that maybe was formed during his life in these boom towns. I think Mark talks, Mark Finn in his books talks about how much evil Howard probably saw in those places like prostitution and abuse and murder because his dad was a doctor. And I would imagine he would have to have a feeling that it would be really great if somebody would stand up and fight back. And I feel like that's what Kane is to him. Like, it, he says something about it's a steely 16th century gunslinger or whatever, but it's also sort of, wouldn't it be great if somebody could do this? But nobody actually wants to have that life, right? I think Luke said that in one episode. Nobody really wants to be Batman yeah. or the Shadow. Because that sucks. I mean, that means you don't have anything. And Howard clearly had a family and a life. So he couldn't be Solomon Cain, but he could create him. In one of the Cain stories, Cain is described as a strange blending of Puritan and Cavalier with a touch of the ancient philosopher and more than a touch of the pagan. A hunger in his soul drove him on and on, an urge to right all wrongs, protect all weaker things. Wayward and restless as the wind, He was consistent in only one respect. He was true to his ideals of justice and right. Such was Solomon Cain. And I think here in the end of the the Cain sequence, I think I can agree with that. In the end, he doesn't seem all that religious, right? Not really. Yeah, we kind of see him lose his religion, and and it's unclear whether or not he ever picks it back up. He sort of adheres to the most basic religion. If you do evil. Yeah, the golden rule, right? Yeah. Right. yeah. And I think that's why we like him, right? I think that's why he's he's an enduring character. Why He's almost an archetype. Uh, he predates the shadow and Batman and all that jazz. And we like when bad things happen to bad people. So we like Solomon Kane. He's not the hero we deserve, <laughs> but he's the one we need right now. Right. He is Howard's Batman, and Conan is almost, as weird as it is to say, Howard's Superman? I think that's probably true. Yeah. And, and if we wanted to boil it down like that. In weird ways, yeah. I think you're yeah. right. So, what's the final word? What's the verdict? This character is just as interesting as Conan. It's just very, very, very different. It's just just as interesting as, as Dark Agnes and Red Sonja. Just, just different. Yeah. Uh, so, I'm really glad that we did this season... Now, I think it's cool that we're reading these stories after we've talked about the other material. The Conan stories, the Dark Agnes, the Red Sonja stories, uh, a, spat- a smattering of, of, other, of other stories that really, I think, has given us a chance to see how targeted 
Howard was with this Solomon Kane character, this large arc that he that he ultimately developed, like how these stories, like how everybody played out. Yeah. John, I feel like we have met a raw, rawer version of Howard, right? These are younger stories. He's not as polished of a writer. So I didn't always feel like the stories were as good as things we experienced with Conan or even with Sword Woman. But there is a lot to this character and maybe even more to him than Conan. I don't know. Cause this, like while we've been talking about during this retrospective, there's, there's a lot of meat on this bone. I don't think that it was always as well written though. Yeah. I think that people who haven't checked out Solomon Kane really are doing themselves a disservice. You should read the content. If, even if you've watched the movie and decided, you know, uh, I don't really like the content. I don't really like the character. Uh, think about it like this. That is a modern interpretation of a character without any sort of influence from the creator. And it's an original story. It's not really uh, indicative of the source material at all. So if you've only watched the movie, if you haven't read along with us, please, please, please read these stories. It won't take long. You can get them all in the Del Rey edition, uh, the Savage Tales of Solomon Cain. You owe it to yourself. Treat yourself. Yeah, at least just pick a handful. <laughs> I mean, you can read them in a half an hour at a piece. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the shorter ones, some even in far fewer minutes than that. Yeah. Uh, just knock a couple out and see if it, if it you know, suits your fancy. Yeah, check it out. So now we are at another intersection. Oh, snaps. And this road looks curvy. It looks long. There's there's lar- there's large stretches that I can see before me and and they're it looks like there's some sort of fog or clouds that are that are obstructing my view. Guys, it's flooded. I think we're going to get lost. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Season 4 is going to be titled The Lost Road. What types of content are we going to be evaluating along this path? Well, we're going to be getting into like lost worlds as a genre. This is this is a deep dark well. There's there's a lot of directions we can go here and just here at the end of season 3 it bears mentioning that there's no way we can cover all of the ground that we could cover with season 4. So just here at the front end, we're going to hit as much as we can, but this is an, a wide open field. There's going to be a lot of a lot for us to talk about. That's right. So the Lost Road is going to be devoted to stories which contain the central theme of lost civilizations, the influence of these ancient civilizations on modern man, talking about Atlantis, Lemuria, maybe even Rulier. Yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be a lot of fun. What do you think, John? We'll be joined by awesome guests. We're going to cover some cool Howard creations like Cole, hopefully Brand McMoran as well. We will also begin to explore the lost civilizations that were presented by other authors like Edgar Rice Burroughs, H. Ryder Haggard, Oh yeah, that's that's going to be great. We're going to have lots and lots to talk about. A lot of these stories are uh open source public domain, which will be cool that we can, you know, we can be reading these and even if you don't happen to have it on your bookshelf, it's it's only a couple clicks away to pull something up on your Kindle or your little uh uh browser of some type to read some of these. A lot of the others, like the Cole stories that we'll get into, you know, they're going to be found in a lot of different Robert E. Howard uh, cheap paperbacks. Mm-hmm. It's going to be really easy to to read a lot of this content along with us. Yeah, for sure. 
So you have no reason not to join us on this adventure. Exactly. Join us for this jaunt down the Lost Road next on the Chromecast. You can find us on the web at http colon forward slash forward slash thecromcast.blogspot.com. You can tweet at us at the Chromecast or find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash the Chromecast. You can listen to us on Stitcher. Put us in your ears and stream us on using the Stitcher app for iPhone, Android, or I think those are the only two things, right? It's a smartphone app. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, holler at us. 859-429-CROM. Crom, crom, crom. And we'll be seeing there you along. Solomon Kane in season three. Hello, unknown. Hello, unknown. Until then, I've been Josh. I've been Luke. And I'm John. And we'll see you on the Lost Road. Bye. Shark Week. Shark Week, dude. John. Look, John. You're about to get eaten by a shark. That was scary looking. I know.